2 Kings chapter 4, starting from verse 32. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house, and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day, opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, 
And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Many years ago, my uncle came here to the city to start work, but he didn't like it. So he went to be a forester in Wales, and he loved it. A little later, he went off to do the same thing in Australia. And at one time, he told me the story. There was a bushfire raging. He was called on to join in the fight, and he battled through the day, and then on and through the whole night. The next morning, it was under control. He had to go home. He fought back the sleep as he drove, but he was overcome. He cleared off the road. He crashed into a lamppost. The vehicle was written off. He had broken bones, but obviously he lived to tell the tale. Let me ask you this afternoon, are you feeling drowsy? Maybe you were up late last night commiserating the rugby or celebrating. Or maybe you've had a Sunday roast today and now it's mid-afternoon. The eyelids are getting heavy. You're starting to nod off, which is not really fair. I've only just started speaking. But I'm not really asking, have you had a busy week or weekend or anything like that? More as a Christian today, are you sleepy? A little weary? Maybe as in, you'd say, yes, I am a Christian, but you're not really feeling as if you're firing on all cylinders, to say the least. Or maybe even worse than that, you don't really care. You're not that fussed whether you're sleepy or not. So maybe you're only actually just awake on the verge of nodding off entirely as a Christian. Now, why might that be? There could be all sorts of reasons. Maybe you feel there's just not a lot happening in my Christian life, all a bit humdrum, routine. And here in London, there are so many other things that are interesting and exciting and fill my time. Or another classic sign of sleepiness is I think I'm okay, but actually in my life, there's really no interest for the spiritual health of others. Or maybe you're facing a significant difficulty or challenge. You've got questions. You can't work out what God is doing, and you're just tired of it all. Or maybe you would say, well, I was actually wide awake as a Christian not that long ago. But, therefore, I was proactive, but you wouldn't believe the hassle that led to, maybe even opposition. So you thought, just for a bit, I'll keep my head down. But it has stayed down, and now you're in danger of falling asleep. Well, today's installment of Acts, there is remarkable encouragement, but also a challenge for sleepy Christians. You'll see as our passage begins, Paul is setting off from Ephesus, we read. He sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. And then, as we heard, we had all those travel plans and the details with, I think a little bewilderingly, a raising of the dead in the middle. And maybe even as the passage was read this afternoon, you started to think, I'm not sure this has got anything to do with us today. After all, hearing other people's holiday itinerary is not usually thought of as a lot of fun. And as for resurrections from the dead, well, well, whatever. So maybe even as our passage was read, we started drifting off. Maybe you were thinking about other things. When in fact, Luke recorded this so that 
very much it would be for us for our encouragement and challenge. So how is that? Well, let's dive in. You'll see an outline on the reverse of the notice sheet you've got. First, we're meant to realize that Paul is a prophet. Now, what is a prophet? Well, essentially, a prophet is simply one who speaks the words of God. And we've seen in the book of Acts that we are very much all, as believers, meant to see ourselves as prophets. We've been given the Spirit of God, who equips and strengthens us to speak the words, the news about Jesus. That is God's message to the world. But for us to exercise properly this prophetic ministry, we need to be sure that those we've heard from are themselves prophets with the true word of God. And so what happens here in Troas in particular, we are to see that Paul is like Elijah, Elisha, Jesus, and Peter. So in this passage, there is what is obviously an astounding miracle, this raising of Eutychus from the dead. But I wonder how you almost felt as we read the account. Not that much seems to be made of it, or at least not in the ways we might expect. And I hope rather than push you away, that spurred you on to look closer, wanting to get to the bottom of what Luke wants us to see here and to realize because we know raisings from the dead in Scripture are exceedingly rare. In the class by itself is what happens to Jesus Christ, physically resurrected from the dead, never to die again. But then, if you like, that resurrection power of Jesus is seen in what we might call resuscitations from the dead. That is, in the Scriptures, there are a select few who die, but then are, again, raised again to life physically, although they will die once more in due course. And in the Old Testament, famously, we have Elijah and Elisha, who both raised from the dead, well, it's young males, just like Eutychus. And did you know the connection as Paul seemed to bend over Eutychus here? That's a reminder of how Elisha raised that Shunammite son, as we heard in our first reading. So Elijah and Elisha, clearly well-known, renowned prophets of God, and Paul is being shown to be like them. Luke, of course, before Acts, wrote Luke's Gospel, and there we read of how Jesus raised, well, again, a young man, the only son of a widow at Nain. And if you read the account in Luke 7, you'll see the eyewitnesses having seen this concluded like this, a great prophet has arisen among us. That's exactly right, although Jesus was also much more. And then in Acts 9, earlier in our series, Peter, the lead apostle, raised Dorcas from the dead. And this is, you might not remember, but in both that account and this account, there was an upper room. And then you might realize there was also an upper room with Elisha and Elijah. Luke, it seems, wants us to make this connection. Paul, like Elijah, like Elisha, like Peter, even like Jesus, raised the dead. We are to conclude Paul truly was a prophet from God who therefore spoke his words. But what then is it that a prophet is sent to do in our world? And the rest of our passage shows us that Paul speaks words of encouragement to the churches. Paul speaks words of encouragement 
to the churches. So we get all these details of these travels. On your chairs, we've got our favorite map that we've been looking at a number of times. As a reminder, we are in Ephesus or near Ephesus, kind of in the middle of the map. Paul, we know, is heading to Jerusalem, which is due east. But then we're told he heads to Macedonia over on the west. Now, that is a considerable detour, some 1,400 miles in the days before planes, trains, and automobiles. So you're asking, why would Paul go to such great efforts? And in our series, we know the answer. Paul's aim is to strengthen churches. So pioneering gospel work is vital in our world. But there's also a necessary place for ongoing follow-up work to then strengthen churches. But again, what does that mean to strengthen churches? Well, this passage tells us encouragement. Notice in verse 1, as we've already seen, that's what Paul gives to the disciples. But then that's repeated as we're told why Paul went on these travels. Verse 2, when he'd gone through these regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. So if you look at the details, Paul is retracing his steps, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and Corinth. And in each of those places, churches had been formed or started, groups of believers meeting, and so Paul goes to encourage them. Notice in verse 3, we're told Paul spent three months in Greece, probably in Corinth. And in all likelihood, It was during those three months that Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, which some of us are looking at on Tuesday evenings. So just think of that. While Paul is on this huge journey to visit Christians to encourage them, at the very same time, he is writing a letter to another place to encourage the Christians there. Why? Well, it's so important. You read that letter to the Romans, he speaks of the encouragement of the Scriptures which give us hope. One reason this sort of encouragement is needed, well, it's highlighted there in verse 3. We hear of a plot of the Jews. Of course, this is not birthday planning. They've got something much harsher in store for Paul. Just as we've seen through Acts, Christians are to expect opposition. But that really is hard, to persevere through trials. What we need is continual encouragement through God's word. And so Paul, the prophet, is resolved to keep doing this, even if it took such great effort to speak God's words to believers, to keep teaching them, to keep pointing them to Christ. As Christians, that what we need to keep hearing God's message to us, to persevere and grow in the Christian life. So that is why William, in the middle of a busy term when there is much to do, There is so much urgent contending to be done here with the Church of England. But William needs to go because, well, as we've heard, believers have gone out from here to remote places. They're doing the hard work of pioneering and establishing gospel ministry. That is so tough. We need to help them. And so as a church, if you like, we are sending William to encourage those believers to speak the word of God to them. Then he asks us, why do we go to such lengths to prioritize meeting together as Christians, whether it's on a Sunday or midweek, or through the week as in a youth group or in a workplace Christian meeting or in a school Christian union? Well, because we live in a world hostile to Christ and his ways. 
There are so many voices coming at us from every direction. We need to hear the word of the Lord to spur us on, to keep us living for Christ. So Paul the prophet spoke words of encouragement to the churches. And we see by verse 5, he's reached this place called Troas. You can see it there. Is it on the map? Must be. No. Yes, it is. There we are. You can see Troas on the map. So Paul's got there. And uh, before then it resumes the ministry, Paul tells us what happens in this place. And he does it for a very particular reason. Paul, uh, Luke wants us to stay awake and to listen. So now we come to this perplexing, I think, raising of Eutychus from the dead. We've already seen how it shows us something about Paul's identity as a prophet. But why else does Luke record it for us and in the way that he records it for us? So to work that out, we need to look at the details that Luke has chosen to record for us. So verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread... Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Remember last week, we thought about the importance in acts of gathering, of assemblies, of believers meeting together. That's what Christians are to do. We've seen it all through this book. Remember the beginning in Jerusalem, as those new believers gathered together to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, here still, that was Jerusalem, this is Troas, But again, here is Paul, the apostle, speaking to the believers. Just imagine if you're a Christian, a new Christian in Troas. How wonderful. The apostle Paul himself speaking the word. And because this is the last time Paul would do this, well, he spoke at length, we're told. He had much to say to help these young Christians in their Christian lives. Then we're told, verse 8, There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. Why tell us about these lamps? Well, I guess, first of all, this is the place where believers are gathering, and it makes it a place of light in contrast to the darkness outside. But then maybe even more than that, lamps are what you would find in the temple. Now, the Jerusalem temple, in principle, is no more. But as we've seen again, all through Acts, God will still have his temple, a new temple, made up of believers in Jesus. So if you like, here is a gathering of this new temple that God is building. So what does that mean? Well, that means in Troas, I have no idea what the tourist sites are there, but the place to be is in this gathering. God's people are meeting. And God has brought the prophet, Apostle Paul, to address them, to encourage them, to keep them going in the Christian life. Surely those present would be hanging on his every word. Which brings us to a particular member of the youth group, verse 9. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Now at this point, it is commonplace today to make a joke about a long-winded, boring preacher, poor Eutychus. Now, preachers shouldn't be tedious. I agree with that in principle, if not necessarily in practice. But to think that's the issue here in Troas is seriously to miss Luke's point. Luke is trying to address us with an urgent challenge, even if you like a life and death matter. 
How seriously do we see the need to keep on listening and acting on God's word to keep us going in the Christian life? And I think this challenge is sharpened if we've read Luke and Acts and we've seen how he uses the ideas of nighttime, sleeping and staying awake throughout his gospel and Acts. Now, of course, Luke knows everybody needs to sleep, just like Jesus did. So that's assumed. There's no need to say that. So instead, Luke chooses to, if you like, have a theme of nighttime and how you respond to it as a way of showing us what it means to be spiritually alert or spiritually sleepy. So a very quick overview reminder. So in Luke's gospel, the disciples show us what we are all really like. Do you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, what did Peter and James and John do? They fell asleep. Then in Gethsemane, in Jesus' hour of need, he told the disciples to pray, but found them sleeping. When Jesus then got arrested, he spoke of the power of of darkness. Which is why through those chapters of Luke's gospel, as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, he warns against falling asleep. Luke 12, stay dressed for action, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Or Luke 21, watch yourselves, stay awake at all times. And to help us with that, Luke in his gospel also gives positive examples of what it looks like to stay alert. Do you remember those shepherds keeping watch over the flock? By night. By night they heard the word of the Lord and immediately acted to investigate. Or do you remember the prophetess Anna in the temple, worshipping night and day because she was awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem? And then you look at Jesus himself. At one key moment we're told he prayed all night. Then in Gethsemane, he alone stayed alert. Then we move into Acts. Jesus has died and risen, and there is a change in the disciples. Peter was put in prison, but remember the church in Antioch gathered and prayed well into the night. A little later, Paul and Silas in prison at Philippi. Remember, we came to them at midnight, but what were they doing? Praying and singing hymns. Next week, here, we'll hear the charge. Paul will have the church in Ephesus stay alert. He reminds them that he worked with them night and day. Point is, for all Christians like us, the danger in the spiritual life, that is the life that matters, is to fall asleep. And what does that look like? Eutychus. Not paying attention. Not really listening. For us, life gets busy. Paying attention to what God says in the Bible just gets squeezed out over time. There are more exciting things we find to do. Maybe in the end, to put it really bluntly, we just can't be bothered. Our attention, our excitement, our interest is on other things. And here's a warning. It's even possible to be like this when it looks like we are regularly gathering with God's people to hear his word. That's what Eutychus was doing right here. That is, you could be in a church on a Sunday afternoon or on a Tuesday evening, but not really engaging. Your eyes may be open, but spiritually speaking, there's little real attention. We are drifting away. Even as you come here to St. Helens, there's no real intention that I'm going to change my life in the light 
of what I hear. And that is a deadly place to be. Look how verse 9 continues. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So Eutychus falls, it's a disaster. You can imagine everyone in that upper room rushes down. Luke, the doctor, confirms death. And Luke does this to show us where sleepiness leads. Stay awake, listen, act. It really matters. I wonder, does your family have a great uncle Bertram or maybe Aunt Beatrice? What I mean by that, the one who just seems to be able to nod off on every occasion, whether it's at the dinner table, on the sofa, in the back of the car. I had a headmaster at school. He seemed to take every assembly as an opportunity for just a little shut-eye every time. Or are you Bertram or Beatrice? In fact, one mark of alertness as Christians is, if you like, ironically, a recognition of how dopey I am of myself, that I am Bertram, or you are Beatrice. Apologies if that is actually your name. But the point is, we can't be relied upon. We are so susceptible to nodding off, even at a moment's notice. So let me ask, if you've realised that's what we are like, how have you planned your diary to put things in place, to have patterns, to give you as much help as you possibly can to stay awake like this. Or maybe now it is dawning on us that actually we have drifted away. You might even be thinking, I am on the verge of falling asleep. You might even think, well, if this really is so serious, well, what if it's too late for me? So to speak, have I fallen out of the window, fallen away from God's people? for good. Well, wonderfully, this passage shows us how God is astonishingly patient with his people, and his word is very powerful. Look with me at verse 10. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Again, just remember what we are seeing here. The prophet of God continuing to speak the word of God. And in God's kindness, life returns. So what have we just witnessed here in Troas? Well, it really is a resurrection from the dead. And I hope we are excited, but we would expect to see that excitement here before us in the text. That we'd hear the responses of those who witnessed this wonderful event. Well, that does come. But what's striking is it doesn't come immediately because Luke is wanting to underline for us what this incident is all about. Look at the very next verse, verse 11. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. Keynote is the priority. The party can wait. Paul, for now, keeps talking. Again, what does that mean? That is the prophet of God has more to say to help the people. That's what really matters at this point. And only after that, after this priority is established, do we then get verse 12. And they took the youth away alive 
and were not a little comforted. The church in Troas is very relieved. There could have been a very awkward conversation with Eutychus's parents. But no need. And in particular, the people, we're told, are comforted. Now, the underlying Greek word translated here as comforted is, in fact, the same one as we saw translated as encouraged in verses 1 and 2. So notice what Luke is doing. Even as he describes a resurrection from the dead, he is still on his main theme. God is at work through his prophetic word, encouraging and comforting his people. On Friday, I went to hospital to see an older lady who is not at all well. We said Psalm 23 together. We talked about our shepherd, his provision for us in this life and beyond. So looking around that ward marked by such obvious weakness, there was the life-giving power of God at work. Now, back in the first century Mediterranean world, even if that world was aware of what Paul was doing, it would have looked like a complete waste of time. Traveling like that to do what? To encourage the churches. Everyone would have thought, just go and see the sites, Paul. There's wonderful things to see in those cities. Just like London today, think so little of Christians meeting to do what? To listen to a talk, to have a Bible study, maybe to share Bible verses with one another over a coffee. I guess even we at times sometimes begin to think that is so humdrum, so pedestrian, compared to what else we could be doing with our Sundays, our weekends, our evenings, our lunch breaks. Or maybe from a slightly different angle, maybe we help to lead a small group, or maybe we have Christian friends who are trying to point to Jesus, or again, a lunchtime meeting at work. But to be honest, we're wondering why we bother. It's such hard work. No one seems to appreciate it. There is seemingly little response. What would Luke want us to realize after he's recorded for us what happened in Troas? Well, for a start, let's not underestimate what we are seeing week by week around us. Are you aware the world, the flesh, and the devil are throwing everything at us to stop us being Christian. But God, by his word, continually keeps giving us life as we keep on trusting in Christ. So each week, maybe, as we come on a Sunday, on a Tuesday, we come and we see people are still coming. They are still trusting in Jesus. What a mighty work of God in the midst of this city. Or again, that workplace Christian meeting, I guess of all the meetings in your firm this week, that looks the weakest, the easiest to miss, to get bumped out of the diary. But in which of those other meetings are your colleagues hearing the life-giving, prophetic word of God? So where we or others are drifting off spiritually, if we are in danger of falling asleep, take heart from what happened to Eutychus. As God's word is shared, people are encouraged, and those who are sleeping, even the dead, are brought back to life. Our lead us in a prayer. Our Father, we do praise you for the resurrection power of Christ. Thank you that through your word you give life to your people. 
And so would we be those who, knowing ourselves, would prioritize listening to and acting on what you say? And would we also then trust in your word to give to others the life from you that they need? Amen.